Let's pray. Heavenly Father, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. My Lord, my rock, my redeemer, my strength. Amen. I don't know if you know this, but Christianity is not just an intellectual experience. And certainly life in the Spirit is not just an intellectual experience. It's not that you just go to church, you hear something, you understand it, and then you go away. Now, obviously, the intellect is involved in this. We talked about this last week, that we are not to be mindless, but mindful. But how can you worship God who you do not know? But it is more than that. See, when I am actually transformed by the renewing of my mind, it's not just my mind that gets renewed. It is my heart my hands, my soul, my very being that gets renewed. And that, that there's, a, there's an experience of having a life in the Spirit, of being a follower of Jesus Christ. There are certain feelings that seem to bubble up of joy, of gratitude, of thanksgiving. And so being a Christian or having life in the Spirit is not just an intellectual ascent. It is much more than that. There's an experience that goes with it. But some people put so much weight on the feelings or the experience and they chase the feelings or they chase the experience of the transformation. And that can be a danger. You see, some people, they go and try to find a church where they feel inspired where they go for certain music. Now that music might be contemporary, and you might have people standing and raising their hands and doing all sorts of things, or they might want music that's more traditional, uh, hymn-based, where it's soothing, soothing to the soul. Or they want a preacher who's just energized and inspires them each and every week. Or they want a preacher who is more comforting to them. But they go for the feeling of it. And for them, that's what life in the Spirit means. It is all about the feelings. Now, don't get me wrong. Feelings are important. I don't discount them. As a matter of fact, I am more passionate at this time in my life and this time in my faith than I have ever been. But the problem is, and the great danger, the great danger is when people make their feelings the engine of their faith. You know, so what happens if you go to church, and maybe the music wasn't as inspiring as you wanted to, or the preacher's message last week was just great, and this week, eh. You know? And we base it on that. We base our faith on the feelings of what's going on. But I don't know about you, my feelings can vary day to day. So does that mean I'm alive and dead, alive and dead in the Spirit? Or people 
Sometimes I kind of go, well, I'm just not inspired by church anymore. I just don't have that feeling, so they walk away. So there's a great danger in having your feelings being the engine. So what is the engine of life in the Spirit? The engine of the life in the Spirit is Jesus Christ. It is first and foremost Jesus Christ and His Gospel. The engine is the reality of who Jesus is and our faith in Him that He suffered, that He died, that He rose again, and in Him you are free from the wages of sin and death. You are free. You have that life and life everlasting in Him. This and this foremost, above everything, must be the engine that drives everything else. So you can see that it is not just an intellectual experience. It is about your whole body, your whole soul. And the thing is, I don't chase my feelings. I don't chase the experience of the transformation. You see, when I take time and I just soak in His Word, and, it, and I, I soak in the reality of who Jesus is and what He has done for me. And it, it seeps into my brain. It seeps into my heart. It starts to affect my hands, which means everything that I do. Then there's that feeling. All of a sudden, this passion bubbles up. I can actually tell you the time when I became most passionate now as a preacher was almost three years ago when I decided, look, it's the gospel all or nothing. And I've been preaching the gospel ever since. And it's been amazing the experience of that. But that's not my focus. Because I've got to tell you, look, there are many days many days throughout the year that I don't feel especially holy or righteous or fill in the blank, right? Most days, I'm exactly like you. I'm plugging along. I'm a plugger. And most importantly, there are many days I don't feel forgiven. So what do you do in times like that? You have to go back to the Word. You have to go back to the Word and trust in the work of the Holy Spirit to bring you along. See, this statement is true. I can't believe or do works pleasing unto the Lord apart from His Word and the work of the Holy Spirit who points me again and again to Christ Jesus and His gospel. So each week, each day, I have to be pointed again and again by the power of the Holy Spirit to the Word, to the gospel, to remind me that I too am free in Christ Jesus, that there is no longer any condemnation. I need to hear that again and again. 
And that's what last week was. That's what last week was. It was freedom. It was freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. And today is now adoption. That we are no longer children of this world, but we are children of God. Fully adopted into His family. And, listen up, we have a Father who loves us completely, fully, who protects us, who cares for us, as only a Heavenly Father could. And so last week the cry was freedom, and this week the cry is Abba, Father. So let us begin in Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 12, and we are going to start with first being debtors. It says this, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Debtor. It's a word we don't use as much nowadays. And it's a little harder to grasp the implication of this. So I'd like to give you three different views of what it means to be a debtor. The first one, the first one is financially. You know, people go into debt. And there are times when you go so far into debt, you can't get out of that debt. And so what do you have to do? You have to go to the person or the institution, most often a bank, say, I can't pay this. And you have, I think you have to go to a judge and declare bankruptcy. And the judge will declare the bankruptcy and then your debts are forgiven. I believe that's the process. Is that the process? So you have to go to a judge and ask for the debt to be forgiven. So that's, we get that, right? We get that in a certain sense. But there is another sense going on here, and that is a moral failing. So in this regard, I don't know about now today, because people seem to declare bankruptcy pretty frequently, but back in my day growing up, and certainly in the days gone by, if you declared bankruptcy, it just wasn't a financial or legal transaction, it was a moral failing, wasn't it? It was a deep sense of moral failing that your character is tarnished. And there is certainly a sense of shame that goes with that. And it was deep shame. And what do people want to do with shame? They want to hide it. They often want to try to act as if they hadn't failed. So there's a certain amount of pride that gets in there. A pride of trying to say, I, I, I really haven't failed. I know I have, but I, I'm going to put on a show. You know, one of the hardest things to do is to counsel somebody who's an addict. And by the way, I'm not talking about just uh, drugs or alcohol. It could be addiction of almost any kind. And there are a lot of addictions. But for them to admit their addiction... They also have to admit that they have truly failed. I mean, truly failed. That they are morally bankrupt. 
So you get that, right? There's that legal part. There's a moral part. But I think there's one even greater than all of these together. And that is when someone dies for, your, for you, that you are saved. Your life is saved by another. Now, there's a lot of stories from war where you hear about somebody taking a bullet so that the other person would live or going on the grenade or things. I mean, you've heard those stories, right? And these aren't just movie stories. These are true stories of people who said, I will die so you don't have to. And there seem to be two basic reactions to having somebody die for you. One is that there's a sense of guilt, a survivor's guilt, so great that they can't bear it. And so they turn away from that, and they often go into things that are self-destructive. But there's another aspect. When people honor the person who died for them, that they are in a debt that they cannot pay back. And the only way, the only way, because they can't pay that debt back, but they say, I will then honor my life for what they have done for me. Do you get that? These are three greater levels, so to speak, of what it means to be a debtor. Now, when we go to Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, I think you find all of these. For in Christ Jesus, there is a bankruptcy. And when you are born again, there's a legal sense that you are no longer a debtor, that you are free in Him. And the judge, the Father, declares that that legal aspect is taken care of. The judge also says that you are morally bankrupt. And that's taken care of too. All of the sins, listen carefully, all of the sins that you have done, that you are doing, and that you will do, have been paid in full. And that in Jesus Christ, in this war of sin, if you will, Jesus Christ stood so that you would not die. That He took all of those bullets, if you will, for your sake. And that's how the price was paid. You see, on the cross, He said, to die." One of my favorite words in all of Scripture, to die." it's found in John chapter 19, verse 30, and we translate it as, it is finished. But it is more than just finished. It is finished now and remains finished forever. And in in the commerce of the day, it was found at the bottom of a bill. And it said and meant that it was paid in full. That in Christ Jesus, your debt has been paid in full. This is, listen up, this is what it means to be a debtor to Christ Jesus. That there's nothing, that you are fully bankrupt before Him, and there's nothing, nothing you can do other than to have faith in Him and Him alone. 
Listen again now to what Paul writes. He says, so then, brothers, we are debtors. Not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, you, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. He's saying, look, you are dead now to all of that sin, that world, the flesh, all of that. Honor Christ Jesus in what you do. We can't pay that debt back, but we are debtors and thus honor Him in what you do in your whole life. Not just a little bit. Your whole life. Your church, your marriage, your family, your work, your neighbors. Honor Christ Jesus. It's easier said than done, isn't it? That's because... Life in the Spirit and living unto Jesus is a process. It is a process. You know, think about it for a moment. There are certain things that you used to do that you don't do now, or maybe you shouldn't do now. All right? I'll give you two examples. Uh, One is, I made a decision somewhere along the way not to swear or use coarse language. Why did I do that? Well, I, I just felt prompted that that was the appropriate thing. And it's actually their scripture. His word says that. Don't swear. Don't use coarse language. So I learned not to do that. And I don't. Although occasionally... <laughs> When circumstances, when I'm really angry or frustrated, all of a sudden it's just like a word might pop out. And I think, where did that come from? I thought that was dead. So i got to kill it again, right? But I, I repent and then I go on my way. But mostly, it's just dead. It's just not part of who I am anymore. Same thing with sarcasm. I used to be and can be really sarcastic. But I found as a pastor, that's not a good thing to do. can often be misinterpreted, you know. But I, w- I want to give you another example. Alcohol. Now, I have nothing against alcohol in and of itself. Uh, nothing. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, wine is said to be a blessing from God. Okay? But the Bible also says, don't get drunk That's a sin. And it's really clear, isn't it? Don't get drunk, that's a sin. Now, in my teenage and early 20s, I sinned quite a bit. Later on, you know, I I didn't. But here's here's really where I want to point to. About three years ago, maybe three and a half years, two and a half, three years ago, uh, Alcohol hasn't been a a problem for me, but I felt a a conviction, a prompting, a feeling, if you will, uh, that I shouldn't drink any alcohol. And it was odd because it wasn't just like me making the decision. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. It wasn't just me. It was like outside of me saying, don't do that. I know it sounds kind of weird, right? But it was like, I went, 
okay, I guess I'm not drinking alcohol anymore. And so I haven't, other than communion wine, you know, which is nothing, I don't drink alcohol anymore. Not because it makes me more morally superior, because I believe that was a prompting of the Holy Spirit. You see, I believe that it's through the Holy Spirit who moves us ever greater to stop doing things and start doing things because we have that calling, a greater calling in Christ Jesus. Does that make sense? There's a, a, a work of the Holy Spirit. And that's part of what it means to have life in the Spirit. We rely on the Holy Spirit to continually put to death the things that bring us death and bring us into everlasting and greater life in Christ Jesus. One person put it this way. I'm going to paraphrase. He says, There's a kind of living that brings on death, but there is a kind of putting to death that keeps us alive and keeps us alive. That's what this means about life in the Spirit. So we are debtors, and we are to live and honor Christ Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we realize, we see, we find, it is declared that we are adopted. Going on. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You see, many people think all around the world that we're already children of God, but that's not what the Bible says. The only way for a person to become a child of God is through faith in Christ Jesus. The Bible says this from our gospel reading, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So, how do you become a child of God? You are born again through the will of God, all to the glory of God. You become his child. But Paul here is writing about something more than just children. He uses this word sons. And when he talks about sons, it's more in the sense of adoption. Now, has anybody adopted or gone through adoption? I'm just curious. Okay, so a lot of people haven't. So it, we understand it a little bit. But I, I want to go through it a little bit because adoption, in one sense, is a legal transaction, right? It is a legal transaction by which you, again, go before a judge and the judge writes on the paper that this child is now your child. Legally adopted, right? Right? When Paul was writing this, adoption had a, a much 
greater meaning. Because adoption, although a legal transaction, was more than that. In those days, an adopted son was a son deliberately chosen by his adopted father to perpetuate his name and inherit his estate. So there is a a legal sense in which, yes, you are adopted, but it is the Father that chose you for His name and that you might inherit all the riches that He has. See, when you are born again legally, you are then a child of God. Not just a little, but fully. And this is the hard part. You are fully part of the family with God the Father. Let me put it another way. When you become a child of God, you belong, you are loved fully, completely, without any hesitation whatsoever. You are not less than. You are His child through and through, and He chose you. He chose you through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. You have a Father, an eternal Father. But this is hard for most of us. And we actually don't trust God's declaration Most people, I think, think themselves as foster children. You know? Yeah, okay, I'm adopted, but I could get kicked out any time. There's a lot of people who feel like that. And that they live in constant fear of rejection of the Father. Let me tell you a true story here about a woman Author Keith Miller, he tells of an outgoing 40-year-old woman who is part of a sharing group. And here's her story. When I was a tiny little girl, my parents died, and I was put in an orphanage. I was not pretty at all, and no one seemed to want me. But I longed to be adopted and loved by family as far back as I can remember. I thought about it day and night, but everything I did seemed to go wrong. I must have tried too hard to please the people who came to look me over. And what I did was to drive them away. But then one day, the head of the orphanage told me that a family was coming to take me home with them. I was so excited, I jumped up and down and I cried like a baby. The matron reminded me that I was on trial. And this might not be a permanent arrangement, but I just knew that somehow it would work out. So I went with the family and I started school. I was the happiest little girl you can imagine. And life began to open up for me just a little. But then one day, a few months later, I skipped home from school. I ran to the front door of the big old house we lived in. No one was home. But in the middle of the front hall was my battered suitcase with my little coat thrown across it. As I stood there, it suddenly dawned on me what it meant. I didn't belong anymore. So, 
The author reports that the woman stopped speaking, and when she did, there was hardly a dry eye in the group. But then she cleared her throat and said, almost matter-of-factly, this happened to me seven times before I was 13. But wait, don't feel too badly. It was an experience like these, it was experiences like these that ultimately brought me to God. And there I found what I'd always longed for, place, a sense of belonging, a forever family. You see, in Christ Jesus, you are home. You are home with a Father who will never leave you or abandon you. He is your Father forever. Listen again to the words. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. He is your dearest Father who loves you, who chose you, who forgives you forever. And you can cry out to Him. You can say, Dad. Father, I'm home. This is why the story of the prodigal son is so powerful. About a son who had all the riches he could have desired, but he forsook his father, his brother, all of that. He took his inheritance, he went, and he squandered it, didn't he? He not only squandered it financially, he was morally bankrupt as well. And then he realized that he had a father who loved him. And so he went back home. But listen to what it says. Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. You have to understand that a father during that time did not run. It was un it just wasn't the right thing to do for a father to run. But here the father saw the son and ran to him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe. And put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You have a father who loves you forever. Forgives you forever. You can run to him and cry, Abba, Father, Dad, I am home with you. So we are adopted through and through. And not only we are adopted, we are heirs in Christ Jesus. It says this, The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if the children, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. 
provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Why would we need the Spirit to testify? That's the question. Why would we need the Spirit to testify for us? Is not our own personal testimony enough? You know, personal testimonies. How, how God saved you. What God has done for you in your life. How He has made you a new person. How you're not the same person you used to be. Now, personal testimonies are really good. And they are very powerful. And quite frankly, I wish we had more of that in this congregation. Because sharing things of how, how and what God is doing in your life is so important. And it encourages one and another. The downside of putting everything on your personal testimony is, well, what if you sin? What if you falter? What if you start having doubts that you are saved or God the Father still loves you? See, it can't just be the strength of our own testimony. It must be the strength of the testimony of God. We need God's testimony. It is the Holy Spirit who bears witness with our spirit. When you think that you have sinned too much and gone too far, the Holy Spirit picks you up, or in my case, sometimes kicks me in the rear and says, no, no, look. Look to Jesus Christ. Look to the Gospel. In Him, you are free. You are forgiven. You are His child. You are adopted fully through and through. This is why we need the Holy Spirit to testify with us that in Christ Jesus, He will never leave us. He will never abandon us. We are His forever. This is the Father. This is what it means to be adopted. And it is not only adopted, but we receive all of the inheritance in Christ Jesus because we are fully children of God. You see, when it says the heir or inheritance, it means his full of inheritance. It doesn't mean you get a little bit of the inheritance. Anybody have to deal with inheritance in families afterwards where there's a little bit of squabbling? You know what that's like. People go, well, you can't get that much because mom, dad didn't love you as much. You, you know, you at least know the stories of that. No, that's not like it at all. You're fully loved and you get the full of inheritance. You get eternal life. You're not just a little bit in. You're not just a foster child. You get the full inheritance as any child of God would have. That's the glory of this inheritance. Peter writes about this. He says it's an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Brothers and sisters, this adoption Jesus Christ and His gospel and the freedom and forgiveness of sin is what it means to have a Spirit-filled life. So for you today, 
Know this. When you apply the word, not just hear it, not just make it an intellectual exercise. Oh, nice sermon today. And then you walk out the door and it's gone. But when you actually take in the word and you apply the word, you too will have greater life in the spirit. And then all of a sudden these feelings start to come up. So, this week, think of how great a debtor you are. Think of what Christ has done for you and live in honor for him, for what he has done. Reflect on your adoption. You are not a foster child. You are adopted through and through. And when you really get to that, there's rejoicing. And so you too can rejoice this week in the inheritance that is yours. And all the people said, Amen. Amen.